Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Part two of Kingdom Culture. Part two of Kingdom Culture. Last week was, it wasn't a very fun message. Like, it's really hard for me to preach a message without bringing some humor to it because that's just how I'm wired. Uh, but it's, it's also hard. I don't want to force humor into it. And I, I, I think when we're looking at a kingdom concept and a kingdom mindset, um, we, we really have to take it seriously in some degrees because we're shifting a mindset. Um, we're shifting a way of thinking and, and coming at culture and coming at um, our faith walk from a little different perspective. And Jesus says this in Matthew verse 14, or Matthew chapter 14, verse 17. He says, from that time on, Jesus is beginning his ministry at this point. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the what? The kingdom of of heaven has come near. He didn't say repent and go to church, right? He said repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So he didn't come to instill a set of values. He didn't come really even to build a church. He came to expand his father's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And so we have to remember that, that what we do in this life um, with all of our spiritual disciplines, with all of our service, with our worship gatherings. It is to encourage us on a daily basis, but the end game, the end result is to expand the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of darkness, right? And, and so when we look at this, at this word kingdom, it's a domain territory under the authority of a monarchy or a king or queen. And what Jesus faced is when he came as the Messiah and people saw him as the Messiah, in their minds, he was coming to set up a worldly kingdom, another kingdom, a natural kingdom. But it was something even far beyond that. And so in Luke chapter 17, they're, they're asking, like, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus says it's, it, it can't be detected by visible signs. Says you won't be able to say here it is over here or it's over there for the kingdom of God is already among you and it's it's a kingdom that that really it can't be measured with like geographical boundaries, um, it's not controlled by elected officials and so we can't say the kingdom of God is here or it's over there, and really if we want to think about what it means to be in the kingdom of God, or what is the kingdom of God, the easiest definition for you and I to, to keep that in mind is, is it is God's people in God's place doing things God's way. That is God's kingdom, God's people in God's place. Wherever that is, that's your workplace, that's in your home, that's in your community, that's on your street. If God has placed you there, guess what? You are a boundary marker in the spiritual for God's kingdom that your presence there brings God's kingdom there, wherever that is. So God's people in God's place doing things God's way. Like I said last week, this is, this is hard for us to understand growing up in a um, democratic society where we can just vote 
in our elected officials. And if we don't like them, then after four years with a president or you know, other officials, we can elect them out, you know, maybe two years. We can impeach them if we don't like them, and we can bring them to court to get them out. When a kingdom, it doesn't work that way because a king is not elected. A king is born into the throne, or he overtakes the throne, right? The king owns everything. The king protects and provides for his people, and then he enlists his people. And so if, if you're here today, and you're a part of the church, and I'm not just talking Avenue Church, but if you're a part of God's church, Big C, the global church, you are a part of his kingdom, that you are not just a, an American citizen, but you are a citizen of heaven, and there are certain rights and responsibilities that, that we have that we get to enjoy and that we are obligated to that supersede any right we could have depending on what citizenship we have. That we are a citizen of heaven first and we are American citizens second. This is gonna hurt. Sometimes we put our American citizenship ahead of our heavenly citizenship, Right? But our heavenly citizenship supersedes that. And so we have to understand that our job is not just to protect. Yes, I want to protect our American rights. But even more importantly, our responsibility is to expand God's kingdom. And so um, we refer to Jesus, right? If you've been to church at any amount of time, we refer to Jesus as both Savior and what? Lord. Lord and Savior. We're, we're really quick to throw our hand up for a life preserver, for him to save us out of our mess. But then the next step is, is that we are to accept him as Lord, and a Lord is a ruler by hereditary rights, which means he, Jesus is our Lord by birth. It is his right, and it's the one that we give obedience to. So Jesus is our Savior and our what, guys? Lord. And the reason he is our Lord is because he is the king, because we talk about king receives a throne by a victory. As he has invaded our life, for those of us who are walking in relationship with Jesus, he has invaded our life. It says that, that he came from heaven to earth, that he gave up all right, heavenly privileges and, and rights, that he invaded as a king and has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light by way of the cross. And so when we accept that in our life, we then become a part of his kingdom. And as a responsibility of that, you and I, we must allow him to enlist us in expanding that kingdom. And so for the next two weeks, how do we do that? I want to talk about how we do that. Well, the two greatest things that a, kingdom, that, that a king has and a kingdom has is authority and resources, that kingdoms and kings have authority and resources, and these are the two things that he uses to expand his kingdom. And it's the combination of these two things that help us to move forward. And we see this take place in the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah. Just a quick snapshot of this. Nehemiah is a servant under the ruler of Persia that, that is, is kind of taken um, the children of Israel in captive. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer, and he gets news that that his, his hometown has been destroyed, that Jerusalem, you know, the, the city is destroyed, the walls have been broken down, and it says that, that he, he falls and he weeps and he mourns and he begins to, to pray and to fast and what God could, could help him to do something about it. And so he's before, king, um, before the king one day and he's looking sad and the king recognizes that he looks sad, he's obviously you're not well, something must be troubled in your heart. And so he asks the king for two things. He says, if it pleases the Lord, 
I would like to go to my city and, and rebuild it because it has been um, left humiliated and, and vulnerable because of the walls being broken down. And so he asks first for a letter to the governing um, uh, officials in the surrounding provinces. You know, he says, can I have letters that I may pass through the surrounding provinces to get to Jerusalem? He's asking for a letter of, guess what? Authority. He's asking for the king to give him authority to go out back to his kingdom. And then he goes another step forward because he knows that once he gets there, he's going to need tools and supplies to be able to rebuild the wall. And so he then asks for a letter to the keeper of the king's forest, and he asks for, for lumber, for the gates, for the walls, and he says, even to build a house for me. Guess what he's asking for? Resources. So he's asking for authority, and he's asking for resources to accomplish what he feels like God has put on his heart to do. And, and, and we see this in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8. It says, and the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. The king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. He understood the access that he had. He understood that he had access to a great power that, could, that had authority but didn't hold on to that authority that could give him the authority he needed. He also understood that he had access to a king who had the resources to provide what he needed. And so here's what you and I have to understand is we are in relationship with a king that has all authority. And he wants to grant us that authority. And we are in relationship with a king and, and under the rule of a king that doesn't just have a forest. He's got a whole planet, right? And so he has all resources. And so I don't know like what God's put on your heart that, 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 that you are supposed to do to expand God's kingdom in your area, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in work, whether, whether it's starting a business. I don't know what it is, but, but God has authority set aside for you if you would just ask. God has resources set aside for you if you would just ask. Now, just don't like on a whim, think about it and say, hey, God, can you do this? Because it's like, he's probably going to say no. But as you take time to pray it out and to seek God's, God's vision for it and God's heart for it, you will have an opportunity to ask and he will provide. Before we started the church, and you know, sometimes you may get tired of hearing church planning stories, but that's been my life for the last two years. <laughs> that's what all my stories are. It's like we spent time, two years from the time I had the vision from God until well, actually three years, but thanks, thank you, COVID, right? Um, before we saw it come to pass and had plenty of time to pray and seek God, not just for resources, but also for authority. So, so for today, I wanna spend just a few moments talking about kingdom authority and that, that you have authority if you would ask for it. And we need to do a better job in walking in that authority. So authority is this, it's powers or right to influence change in thought, opinion, or behavior. Authority is power or right to influence change. But also authority is someone who is um, able to do those things. So a person of authority, they are considered an authority, right? And when I look, like the, the British term for that is dab hand. Completely unrelated to the message, but I immediately thought, right? I immediately <laughs> thought, Jennifer's like, no. But dab hand is like, come on, I'm the authority on this. Give me a fist bump. But 
you and I, you and I have a king that is authority overall. And he wants to give us that authority. So some things we need to understand, though, is all authority. Everyone say all. All authority is in God and from God. In the beginning was who? God. So he got here first. So he has all authority. He's always been here. He will always be here. And he will be here when you and I are no longer here. So he is the one and all authority. Now, we have to understand that even though he is all authority and it's in him, all authority that we interact with comes from him. And I know in this season and different political sides and with all that we're going through, that's hard to stomach. It's hard to, to wrap our brains around. But when, when Jesus was standing before Pilate, about to be executed, Pilate said, look, do you not understand? Why are you not saying anything? I have the power to crucify you or to set you free. It's the most authoritative person in that area. And what does Jesus say? He says, you only have the authority that is given to you from above. And this was the authority that was used to crucify Jesus. And so we have to understand that even the authority that we don't like, that God puts them in place, even the authority that we don't understand. Romans 13, one says, everyone must submit to governing authorities for how much authority? All authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there. And, and the crazy thing about this, when Paul is writing this, there was, there was a, a, a Roman ruler named Nero, and he was crucifying and um, persecuting Christians to the fact that if he needed extra light in his backyard, he would put Christians on a stake and light them on fire. And so Paul is saying this about rulers like that. Now, as I was kind of studying and even preparation, like there is, there is submission and there is obedience. And we think the two are the same, but they're actually separate because Paul at times, like he's saying here, we have to submit to those authorities. But then when he gets arrested, he said, should I obey man or obey God? When it comes to obedience, our obedience and allegiance is always to God before man. Right? But we have to keep in mind and understand that all authority is in God and from God. The second thing is this, is Jesus has been given all authority. As the son of the father and is really God himself, he now has all authority. And Jesus acknowledges this in John 13, 3. Jesus knew in John 13, 3 that the father had given him authority over what? Everything over every single detail, over every single scientific like factor and law, over everything, not just in that moment. And he says that he had come from God and would return to him, would return from, to God. Now, here's the thing. The disciples had already kind of experienced this without Jesus saying anything because they had witnessed him not just saying he has authority, but they had witnessed the authority that he had to calm the storms. He had authority over the weather. They had witnessed him have authority over the ocean as he walked on water, defying science. They had witnessed him have the authority as he multiplied all the fish sandwiches with just a few pieces of fish and a few loaves. They had witnessed his authority over, over death by raising the dead. They had witnessed his authority over sickness by healing those that were sick. They had witnessed his authority on wisdom by reading people's thoughts. 
And so Jesus didn't just have some authority. He had authority over everything. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 19, Jesus says this. This is after he has given his life. He's been buried and, and resurrected right before he ascends into heaven. Jesus came and he told the disciples, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So no longer just on earth, but also in heaven. In verse 19, he gives a directive. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And so what is he doing? He says, look, I have all authority. I'm having authority to send you out. So guess what he's giving the disciples? Authority. And so here's what you and I have to understand. This is a part of God's kingdom. We share in his authority. So all authority belongs to Jesus. But because we are a part of his kingdom, and he is not just our savior, but he is also our Lord, he has now transferred some of that authority to you and I. And we really should live and walk like we have more authority than what we do, myself included. I've let too many things in my life get the best of me because I forgot that I'm a part of a kingdom that has all authority and some of that same authority has been given to me. It says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead resides in us. And, and, and we see this like in the New Testament, but did you know that like actually you and I were given authority and dominion was actually given to mankind in creation. We see this in, in Genesis chapter one. It says, so God created... Genesis 1, verses 27 through 28. So God created mankind in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them. And I'll come back to that in a second. He created the male and female. Verse 28, God blesses them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. And the word there is to do what with it? Subdue. What he's saying is I've given you authority over the earth to subdue it, to bring it under submission, to bring it under my authority. And he says, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In that moment, in our creation, when God created us, we were created in his image and received his authority on this place. We were the delegated authority on earth. But in the fall, we gave up that authority to the enemy. And so Jesus' coming back was actually a takeover to get that authority back. But when I was reading and kind of studying this, I don't want to just talk about the authority because before God gave us authority, guess what he gave us? He gave us identity. He gave us identity. And so our authority is not in a position. Our authority is not in a platform. It's in our identity. Because we have God's identity, we have God's authority. And a lot of times we walk around weak-willed and weak-mannered and, and, and defeated because we don't understand our identity. And you, that could be a whole other sermon for another day. But, but even before the fall, we were given authority based on our identity. In Luke chapter 9, one day Jesus called the disciples. This is verses 1 and, one and 2. One day Jesus called together the 12 disciples or the apostles, and what did he give them? He gave them power and authority 
to cast out all demons, to heal all disease. And then he sent them out to tell everyone, not just to heal the sick and preach the good news, but to tell everyone about the kingdom of God. So their primary responsibility was to, was to perform all those miracles, but it was in the name of expanding the kingdom of heaven. And so we planted Avenue Church not just to grow Avenue Church, but to expand the kingdom of heaven. We pray for you to overcome things, not just so that you can overcome things and so that, so that you can be healed, it's so that your healing and your breakthrough can be a testimony to God's authority and power in your life and that those are not a part of the kingdom, they hear that and they want what you got. They want to be a part of what you're, like they want in the club. And, and here's the thing, God wants everybody in the club because it's not a club, it's a family. It's a kingdom. And he wants to invade their life just like he invaded your life to bring them out of darkness and into light. But we have to understand that we have the authority to do that, to tell everyone about the kingdom. Now, so we understand that part of the authority is ours. We understand that Jesus is, is, has the authority. But how do you and I, like how do we walk in that? And, and you can go from one side or the other to the extreme. Like if we say these specific passages of scripture every morning and every night and we pray a certain way that builds our strength and our authority and, and there is like strength in that. There's truth in that. There is nourishment in that. But when I read scripture, and I don't like it, but the best way for you and I to walk in authority is through constant surrender and obedience. It's in constant surrender that means giving our life over, coming under Jesus' authority, and then obedience, which is doing what he said. Because we can place ourselves under someone's authority and be disobedient. But we have to do both of these in tandem. And, and we see this played out the best. Man, I went back and read the story, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm just amazed. We see this played out. And the man that I think that I see in Scripture walking in the most authority is a guy named Paul. He wrote the majority of the New Testament and, and went from being a, a, a church persecutor to a church planter. And look, we'll, we'll, we'll just look right here in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 2, and the verses won't be on the screen, but I want you to go back and, and read where Saul has this interaction with Jesus that changed where he recognized his authority. And, and, and so in Acts 8 verse 2, it says, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Now, now who Saul was at this point? He, he was a Roman citizen who was also a Jewish leader, right? He was a great teacher. And, and it says that when Stephen, one of um, the followers of Jesus, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, he was one of the servants, essentially, that was that the disciples had brought in to help serve the widows who needed food, but he was still preaching the gospel. And it says that Stephen was drug out into the streets and preached the gospel to all the religious leaders around, and they pulled him out into the streets and stoned him to death. And it says that, that all the religious leaders that stoned Stephen, they took their coats and they laid them at Paul's feet. And it says that he approved of Stephen's stoning. And so now he's went, and it says that he's going 
everywhere to destroy the church from house to house, dragging both men and women to throw them in prison. And we can read this in black and white. Sir, I need you to come out here. Sir? No, he was going in like he wasn't friendly about it. When you read the word dragging, think about being drugged. You've seen someone, like we read him and think he just put him in handcuffs and he walked him to the, no, they were probably kicking and screaming and he was dragging them because that was the authority that he has. And then in Acts chapter nine, we see in verse one, it says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager, listen to this, not just to arrest them and imprison them now, but to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. Now remember what we read in Nehemiah, and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers he found of the way there. Guess what those letters represented? Authority. So he was going to those in authority, requesting authority to destroy the church. Now, so he got the letters, he got the authority, he got the authority to go into Damascus, and remember, God sets up authorities. So God put those individuals in place to give Paul letters to go to Damascus. Now think about this, all right? In, in the great scheme of things, Paul was on the way to Damascus with the authority given from authority that God had set up when he had an encounter with Jesus. He had an encounter at that point with a resurrected Jesus that, that, that threw him off his horse, that threw him to the ground. And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am the one in whom you are persecuting. And it was in that moment that, that, that Saul had a life-altering change because in that moment, his authority changed in who he submitted, surrendered, and obeyed. And it was on the way to Damascus that he had this encounter. And so he sent him to this house on Straight Street to where they, which I always thought, even growing up, like, really? Like, in Israel, they have a street called Straight Street? That sounds like something they would have in, this, like in the city that I grew up in. But he sent him over to this house on Straight Street to meet a guy named Ananias. And, and Ananias was afraid of, of Saul because he knew that Saul had authority to come and, and arrest him. And so he says this, he says, but Lord exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. See, Ananias understood the authority that Paul had or Saul had at this point. He understood that the authority was to destroy the church. But this is, this is the Lord's response. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And this verse just wrecks me when I think about it. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul, in this moment, is changing kingdoms. In one kingdom, he has all authority to destroy the church has the papers, has the letters, is on his way to fulfill the authority that he has. And then in a moment, he has an interaction, he has an encounter with Jesus that, that transfers him from one kingdom 
to another kingdom. And when he transfers from one kingdom to another kingdom, his authority changes. And you and I have to understand that, that our authority changes. It, it, it changed from destroying the church to expanding God's kingdom. And when you read his story, and it would take like a whole series to, to look at Paul's life from this point forward and how much he was constantly surrendering his will, surrendering his desire, the things that he wanted to do to the will of the Father, to the will of his new king. But it's also because of that surrender and because of that obedience, he had the authority to raise the dead. He has the authority to be able to, to withstand being beat, being imprisoned, all these different things because he was constantly walking in surrender and obedience to his king. Now, I know I've said a whole lot Guys, as a church, we have to get it right in here before we can expect the world to get it right out there. I was reading this book called um, Spiritual Authority by, by an older um, theologian named Watchman Nee. And he says this. He says, the church occupies the space between the kingdom found in the Lord Jesus and the further expansion of the kingdom in the world. Okay. Paint a picture. Use your imagination. The church occupies the space. There is a space. There is a chasm between the authority of God's kingdom and between the world. Jesus has placed us in that space between. And so we have a responsibility to walk in this authority so that we can go to one kingdom and bring them into God's kingdom. And, and, and he, he goes on to say this, and it's, it's really like, it's a gut punch for me. And it says, after the church is fully obeyed, the earth shall be brought under the authority of God. Should the church fail to let God's authority prevail within, God's kingdom will be hindered from covering the earth. So therefore, the church is the way to the kingdom, but it can also be the frustration to the kingdom. And so we have a responsibility, not just to build Avenue Church, but to build God's kingdom. And so, so you stand between your lost friends and family and God's kingdom. He's enlisted you and he's resourced you and he's given you authority to speak truth, to speak life, to speak encouragement, to invade their life, their territory, to bring them into the kingdom but it comes with you being the spiritual authority in their life. And so I think about it this way. And so when you think about someone who, who, who's an authority um, in any area, they have submitted and surrendered their life to that area. And they have come to know the principles and the rules and the regulations of that area. And I'd like for some of you who, you know, I know we've got a few health coaches in, in, in the church. And so for you, that is a lifestyle and you have surrendered your life to those rules, Right? In any area, and as you do that over time, surrender and submitting, you become an authority on that. And so people come to you because you are an authority on that. And so as you and I surrender and submit, surrender, submit, and obey to the things of God, people will see us as an authority. And in God's kingdom, we don't shrink back from that, but they are drawn to that. Because Jesus walked with all authority. When he would preach, the crowds would say, he's not like our other teachers. He preaches with way more authority. 
And they were drawn to that. They were pushed away by the worldly authority. And so for those of you that are in here and, and, and you may not understand this, this whole authority mindset, it starts with surrendering first and then walking in obedience second. God has given you authority and resources to expand his kingdom, to make a difference in your life, in the lives of those that are around you, but it starts with the first step. And so you may look at your life, and I'm not saying you're Saul, I'm not saying you're out there killing people and arresting people and breaking in and doing those things, but, but, but you have become the authority in your own little kingdom, in your own little world. And it may happen on a Sunday morning. It may happen on a Monday morning drive to work, on a Monday afternoon drive home. But it's our desire that you would have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That he would not just be your savior, but he would also be your Lord and you would surrender your life to his. Because when you surrender your life to his, it doesn't make everything better. It doesn't take care of all your problems. It doesn't fix everything. But you get a new source of strength. And you get a better stream of resources. And so some of you in here, you may have been trying to do things on your own, out of your own authority. Jesus wants to take your authority and give you his. So let's close our eyes and bow our head just for a moment and never want to miss an opportunity for someone to encounter a relationship with Jesus in a moment that if something that is said today that was said whether it was in worship or through God's word that, that maybe stirred your heart stirred your spirit that's that's the Holy Spirit drawing you out of one kingdom into another and the only thing that ever holds us back is our own self the road has been made straight and the way has been made plain. And it's simply following Jesus. And if you're here today and you say, I need a relationship with Jesus, doing things my own way, but it's not, it's not working. Would you just simply raise your hand as a sign of surrender just for a moment? We'll just pause here. Just simply raise your hand as a sign of surrender. For the rest of us, let's, let's do this. For the rest of us, um, I want to pray that, that you would walk in a greater authority. So let's pray together. Father, we just come to you. God, those that, that raised their hand this morning, God, even those that lifted their heart, whether they've, they've been here a few weeks now and they've heard your word and they've experienced your presence or maybe it's their first time. Maybe they're coming back into a relationship with you, God. I pray that, that they would encounter you on a very real way, that right where they're seated, they're entering into a relationship with you simply by saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me where I've messed up. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I submit myself to your authority and will do my best to be obedient to your ways. God, in that moment, all shame, all guilt, all worry is, is, is wiped away and they understand that they have a new identity in you. It's not in their past, it's not in their job, it's not in their relationships, but Father, it's in you and you alone. 
Father, for the rest of us, I pray that we would understand that we stand in the gap between the world and your kingdom. That you have authorized us with responsibilities and relationships and and given us resources, God, to to take the kingdom to the world. God, that, that you have given us the authority. God, that we would see those that we're in relationship with that don't know you as opportunities to expand your kingdom as opportunities to shine a light. God, help us to be obedient in the church so that we can take the kingdom to this world. So, Father, I pray that your word would sink into our heart, would cut between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, changing us, revealing us from the inside out. Let it strengthen us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen. Come on, come on, let's let's clap. Amen.